Thank you for joining us for the PEPCAC Podcast, a weekly information security show featuring some all-around good people. It is week 25 of 2021, and Apple's Worldwide Developer Conference took place without announcing any new hardware, much to my disappointment. I'm Chris Louie, and with me I have Brian Deach. What's up everyone? I, I hurt my back sleeping last night, in case you wonder what I would do in a actual marathon. And Glenn Medina. Hey everyone, welcome back and thanks for joining us. Happy to be back for podcast number 12. Happy to be in a room with others and nice to speak to actual people in person. Today we are recording a very special episode of the PEPCAC podcast since this is the first time I've seen Glenn in person in over a year and a half. Our team is meeting in person for the first time since the pandemic started. And in addition to Glenn, we have a few guests in the room. First, we have Michael Chet. Michael, you want to give a quick intro? Yeah, thank you, Chris. Uh, my name is Michael Chen. I'm flying from Seattle to San Jose today. Uh, you can see from the window, the weather is beautiful here. Uh, I'm excited to be uh, the, this podcast in person. Thank you, Chris. And next we have Ben Bailey, who stepped out for a second, so he'll be in, in just a moment. And last but not least, we have our newest team member, Mike Loy. Hi, everyone. I'm Mike Loy, and I'm from Portland. Combined, we have decades, wait, scratch that. I think we now have a combined century of information security experience and are here not just to educate, but to entertain. We've got a couple awesome stories for you this week, so sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Now, this is the team's first time meeting each other in person. How's it feel, and what are your initial thoughts? It's good to be in person, right? So, um, you know, I just can't wait. It. Um, you know, I think at the... From some perspective, work from home is great, but uh, uh, I think that, you know, from the corroborations, you know, in-person, you know, engagement is very important. So I'm excited to be able to uh, meet up with the other team member face-to-face. Uh, -face. For, for, for me, it was the same but different. I have been on a plane since uh, last of RSA, last in March last year. Yeah. It, I mean, I haven't seen Chris in over a year and a couple months, so yeah, this is awesome. And then I had first time meeting Mike in a couple months as well, um, and then Ben and Michael. I just saw you guys last month, so it's not not that bad. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean, Glenn? We had Ben Bailey just step in. So Ben, what are your first impressions of meeting the team in person? Oh, it's it's uh it's been a long pandemic, but uh, no, fantastic actually to see everybody in person. Um, you know, I think we've spent enough time uh, shoulders up over the last fourteen months on Zoom meetings. So uh, great to see uh, it's great to see Mike again, and uh, you know, get together and really get our collaboration going. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, so I'm still hanging out here in Arizona virtually. So uh, is anybody like just like like this abnormally like jacked or like seven feet tall? They just had no idea coming in. That's what they would look like. No, but I'm 50 pounds heavier than I was when they last saw me. <laughs> it happens. Maybe combined, we also have 100 pounds uh, heavier than we were a year ago, maybe. <laughs> the COVID-19 is real. Yeah, it's more like COVID-50. So. <laughs> That's a COVID call. <laughs> All right, for our first story, this past week, I probably had no less than six people send this article to me, and I saw it posted in our company Slack at least a dozen times. 
The Justice Department announced this week that it will begin elevating ransomware investigations to a similar level of priority as terrorist attacks. Now, last week, I received some flack from one of my co-hosts on the podcast, <coughs> Glenn, that the podcast was turning into a ransomware podcast, but this is a significant story and one of the first major policy shifts towards ransomware, which is much needed. Prior to this announcement, ransomware attacks were loosely tracked and handled by local FBI field offices, if at all. Smaller ransomware attacks were not even tracked. So elevating ransomware to a similar level of attack as terrorism will begin tracking all attacks and correlating them to find patterns which will help with disrupting future attacks. Now, a parallel to this is prior to 9-11, intelligence agencies operated differently and independently. And while one agency collected the dots and another agency connected the dots, the two agencies never spoke to each other until after 9-11. I said it before and I'll say it again. I believe that disrupting a healthcare system, that's terrorism. Shutting down school systems is terrorism. Disrupting the energy supply of the Eastern US or disrupting the food supply is terrorism. And it's finally time we get tough on those anti-terrorism tools to stop future attacks. Yeah, it's a, I think that's bad, Chris. It's not good that, you know, we're having all these issues, this, this spate of issues here. It's, uh, it's, it's worrying some because it gets worse, but it doesn't seem to be that there's any um, repercussions to people that are doing this, right? <clears throat> so what are we left with? So I guess the question is, do we go after state sponsors of ransomware like we do for state sponsors of terrorism? Like after 9-11, we went after the, uh, the, the Taliban because they were harboring Al-Qaeda. Um, now are we going to create such a, a policy shift that says, you know, if, if somebody hits us with ransomware out of Russia or these other, you know, uh, Syria or Iran, do we now have a policy shift that allows us to to take matters uh, and escalate matters uh, further to prevent further attacks? Well, that, that is actually a great question. You're referring to this called active defense, where you, you hack back. Where do you hack back from? Where do you hack back to? Uh, what's the ramifications? Is there escalation of that? Uh, those things uh, would need to be baked into national security policy if we start pursuing things like that to highest levels. Well, and Chris, I think there was a story the Justice Department this week was tracking payments in cryptocurrency, and um, you know, and, and on the uh, the Colonial Pipeline, you know, the Colonial Pipeline ransomware payment, uh, they were able to intercept that in that you know crypto cryptocurrency wallet, and then claw back a good portion of that payment. The concern there they're having now is you know will you know the nefarious actors begin to look for other ways then to handle that type of uh, that type of transaction. So I think it's sort of a game of whack-a-ball, if you may, in terms of how those ransoms are then managed from this point forward. But you notice with the, that event, they got the money back. They well, got they the did. Yes, they how did. did they do that? They got they, they got the credentials to get the Bitcoin back. Well, and the interesting thing was people were fairly critical shortly after that that it was paid. Right. And now we, now we think that, you know, when we look at policy being developed, you know, in conjunction with governments and, you know, private entities, is the, uh, you know, is the, is the government then directing perhaps payment of these so that they can then put a tracking mechanism in place. Um, I found that kind of an interesting aspect of the story. Uh, about eight years ago, um, when we had the last Israeli-Palestinian war, um, one of the starts of that was someone in Palestine hacked a Israeli website. They hacked back, and it started getting escalation, escalation, and that was at least one of the 
attributing factors leading to the shooting of the Palestinians. Yeah, it's like how far do you escalate and where does it end? Yeah, right. Just like anything else, it's it's not always uh, like I say. I hate to say this. It's like who's got the bigger weapon, right? And and who's got the bigger resources for that matter, right? So and that's the problem I think that we live today is do we just turn the cheek and go okay that's not that bad, or do we actually go hey that's bad, you're done. We're going to put you in timeout now. True, and the other aspect of it is who can take more damage. Yeah, right. and sustain that. Yeah. Like if you're talking about a kinetic war, there's no question the U.S. would win because I think our defense budget is like what you take the next ten countries combined, and it doesn't even shine a light to the U.S. defense budget. So if you talk about a kinetic war, there's there's no question. The problem was always an asymmetric war where a handful of hackers in Iran or a handful of hackers in Syria could inflict a massive amount of damage to the world, to the U.S., just by hacking our pipelines, hacking our meatpacking plants, that it was very asymmetric. So this policy shift, I think, might lend itself to, are we going to get more symmetric now, and can we respond respond with kinetic force? Maybe, but yeah, I don't, I don't, that, I'll leave that to the, the foreign policy leaders. Do you think that there's like a case of like polite terrorism? Like, they go in there and, like, hack your stuff, and it's like, hey, look, I lost five pounds. Like, you really didn't lose five pounds, but, you know, just someone out there just doing, like, white hat activities, boost morale. Maybe he, like, he just automatically sends your wife flowers. Like, little things like that. Do you think that exists, or am I just, like, the white hat hacker bad guy in this solution? Well, there's, there's definitely, like, levels of hacking, and one of them is vandalism. One of them is for fun. One of it is, you know, for, for script kiddies. So there, there's definitely things... Um, showing that you were there without damaging anything. So I think that, I mean, that, that definitely exists. You mean like erasing your digital footprint? Yeah. Like yeah. a hacker, after someone passes away, hacking in and clearing your browser history, like that, that's a good, that's a good hacker. Yeah. <laughs> Uh-oh, Chris Louie died. He's going there and clean up his mess. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a good hack, yes. One I've tried myself. <laughs> well, as Chris said, if he ever passed away, make sure we go to his house and delete his browser history. So. <laughs> okay. I'll leave it up to you guys. My final you wish. Got it. You got it. It's interesting. Some of these tools, how they're packaged now. Well, it was, we saw the 60 Minutes episode here um, last week where um, you can buy... Um, the uh, you know the, the ransomware toolkits um, you split. There's a commission structure in place. Whereas the person who creates it, because you don't have to code this or, or be involved in any of the uh, you know um, the original you know the authoring of the actual ransomware itself. You uh, you now go out and buy these from a clearinghouse, implement that ransomware or, or, or you know execute that ransomware, and then you split the proceeds with the you know the, the folks that are creating it. So yeah. it becomes sort of a you know a closet or a uh, you know. A closet industry, if you may. Yeah, it's the ransomware as a service model where yeah, they hire these service, exactly affiliates, because. and yeah, it's it, it's an entire corporation now. I think the funniest part of this article is like the whole like the uh, the local FBI office, right? Like you think about that, you're like, oh man, they must have like big screen monitors and a bunch of geeks on computers. But meanwhile, in Arizona, it was just like one dude. His name was Michael McAndrews. He's retired, but he's like, it's just me. It's like just walking around, smelling like expired mustard. Uh, going from job to job, <laughs> I got to like sit in these meetings, you know what I mean? Like just like uh, do these things, sit on my computer, still got to go to the gym. I got to buy my own lunch. Like it's not that 
great being an FBI agent, nor is it the vanity that you would think that it would have kind of associated with it. Yeah, so it's not like all those those uh, FBI agents in the movies or like Mr. Robot. Definitely not like that. At least he didn't paint it very glamorously to me. <laughs> like I, I heard that. I'm like, hmm, yeah. And I got to wear a suit? No, thanks. Like, I'll pass. <laughs> Arizona heat. Yeah. Well, oh, my God. Can you imagine? Well, well calling something terrorism is, is going to shift it to the U.S. Cyber Security Command. It will take it out of the hands of the FBI. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's an important distinction is, is that now it's, 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 it's a different agency that will be handling U.S. Cyber Command. And they have some, some very, very talented people there that can not only defend us, but can also do the hack back and defend forward. So switching it over to Cyber Command, I think, will open up some possibilities to finally seeing an end of this ransomware scourge. All right, on to our next topic. As part of Apple's Worldwide Developer Conference this week, they announced they are building their own Tor network. So as I mentioned at the, the top of the show, you know, the, the conference is going on, and there's a new paid feature called Private Relay. Now through Private Relay, all traffic leaving your device is encrypted and sent through two separate relays. Apple says that no one, not even Apple, can access or view this data. It's something like an Apple VPN, but it's more like Tor, which stands for The Onion Routing. Now Tor operates by sending encrypted traffic through several nodes, typically three, scattered all around the world. The traffic that leaves your machine is encrypted with a key from the last server in the chain. That traffic is re-encrypted with a key from the second, and then again with a key from the first. So as your traffic goes to these three servers, they are decrypted and peeled back like layers of an onion. And this model ensures that no server can actually tell where the traffic came from or where it's going. So it gives you some level of, of anonymity. Naturally, countries known for their censorship and not known for their freedom of the press will not be able to take advantage of this feature. That would include China, Saudi Arabia, Egypt, Belarus, and Uganda. Now, has anyone here ever used Tor, and what was your experience with it? Is it Tor offered on the uh, Apple Marketplace as an app? Yes, yes. So the, the, the actual Tor browser you can get uh, on many platforms, you know, Linux, Mac, uh, iPhone, and, and the like, but the relays, the Tor relays, are public. And that's the big difference, public Tor versus private Tor. So the public Tor has some inherent risk. You know, there are known attacks against the Tor network. Uh, one of the US intelligence agencies was running a number of these Tor exit nodes. There's a controversy about it a couple of years back. Uh, but Apple is going to be running a private network, so you have to subscribe to them before you can use one of their private servers. So it's a paid-for Tor service with a promise to, or actually the, the idea is that there's total secrecy in what you're, what you're doing and what you're shipping or sharing across that. So what happens if there's privacy concerns that are happening on this private network that Apple is running? How are they going to police that? that that's a good point. Where, what if the exit nodes are not in Germany? And you have GDPR or national privacy uh, issues. Yeah. Where are the exit nodes in the first place? Yeah. Or where will it be? You guys are way too high level, right? There's a bigger problem <laughs> yeah. here. The, the, <laughs> no, think about this. <laughs> you, no, you are in San Francisco and you're like, man, I'm going to open up Uber Eats. And lo and behold, 
uh, you know, Whataburger pops up. And you're like, oh, my God, I haven't had Whataburger in a decade. I'm going to go ahead and order this. And then you get a little bit closer and you find out, God damn, I am not in Arizona. Like, and then you refresh, you know, like you can't deliver over here. This is BS. Or Texas. Yeah. Where am I? I am in Carolina. <laughs> you can have a bunch of pissed off, hungry people. Facebook had a problem with Tor because from Facebook's point of view, you're bouncing around countries and, you know, I'm, I'm normally in Northern California and all of a sudden I'm coming in from a server in Uruguay and like, wait, wait, what's going on here? And they block the account. So Facebook actually made a dedicated site to use with Tor so it wouldn't have that, that geolocation protection. And you go there knowing that, you know, you have to access it through Tor and it wouldn't block you for, for geo reasons. Oh, perfect. I can run uh, Netflix from Germany. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. Stream-driven Netflix. Shiza. I, I learned. I actually learned at Black Hat a number of years ago that Tor is a project sponsored by the U.S. State Department, and a majority of its funding actually comes from the U.S. government through that because it allows dissidents in countries to bypass censorship. That's one of the primary use cases uh, for Tor. But with great power comes great responsibility, and Tor is also known to be used to host like ransomware sites, the ransomware payment sites, because it's, it's nearly impossible to take down a site that's accessible only through Tor. They're called .onion sites. So there's the good side of it, it allows freedom, but there's also the bad side of it when, when, when people abuse it. So conspiracy theory here. Cypher suites? Yeah. If this, <laughs> if this was really backed by the U.S. government, what makes us think that suites? yeah? Who owns those cipher suites? And what makes us think those communications are really secure? Someone's got to have the key somewhere there. Conspiracy theory, right? So, yeah, the tour is run by a nonprofit uh, company called the Tor Project. I believe their code is, is has been audited. Um, it is in use in in dangerous parts of the world for people to communicate. Not not that we haven't seen this happen before, but there is some level of assurance that they they've gone through the audits and it's been successfully approved but so it's not a shell company owned by some three letter <laughs> agency <laughs> yeah who watches the watchman <laughs> now i'd like for you guys to put on your enterprise infosec hats on for a moment have you guys ever tried to block tor on a corporate network <clears throat> yeah i have what and was it, your experience it's whack-a-mole right it's, i was gonna say whack-a-mole yeah it, I, I mean i think the the best I've ever been able to do is there was a product. Um, it was called Packet Shaper back in the day. And it would identify Tor because, you know, like Tor, it always jump, jump ports, right? So you close it on one, it jumped to the next port, and then you close it on that port and go to the next port. So what they were able to successfully do is basically um, identify the Tor traffic. And then what they do is squeeze that traffic. So only allow 32K stream come through yeah. where it would almost render it unusable from that regard, but still allow it enough to make a connection, but not kill it. That's a way to do it. It's not, I mean, you're still going to let traffic through at 32K, but yeah, it was a good way. Anyone else? Brian, nothing over there at, uh, <laughs> at US Airways at, or University yeah. of Phoenix? Never had a Phoenix, yeah. tour. Uh, psh, not that I can recall. You know, at 32K, I could think my Commodore 64 would work perfectly fine. <laughs> <laughs> what, what is that? How many characters is 32K? <laughs> it's actually a lot. <laughs>
We had a weird problem with the Olympics one year. Like everybody was streaming like the Olympics online and it was breaking everything. And so rather than like this oversaturating the entire pipe. So rather than uh, blocking it, we ended up sending up a VLC server and then had one stream going there. And then everybody streamed via the VLC player app to something locally to circumvent uh, all the, the bandwidth issues. I thought that was kind of creative. Yeah, but then now you have to install VNC on all your machines and that creates... Uh, I guess the player isn't the problem. It's the, the VNC server. That's, yeah. that's the Trojan horse. What could go wrong? Hmm. But what is Tor support? Is that just unicast traffic? Uh, no, Tor is a full browser. So you can get to any publicly accessible website through Tor. And you can also get to hidden websites on Tor. And that's actually where the term the mm. dark web comes from is because these websites are only accessible through Tor. They're not accessible through the public internet. They, they usually end in .onion and they're incredibly difficult for law enforcement to, number one, locate them, and then number two, take them down. So that's why you see a lot of crime um, happen on these, these hidden sites. But there, there's, there's also a good site that, that, that dissidents and political people seeking political asylum, they can go to these websites and avoid censorship from, from their home country. So that's why you know, the State Department has an interest in, in backing yeah. this service. But, but that still goes back to what happens if there's something nefarious that's happening on this network that Apple's providing and how do they regulate that? Yeah, it'll be yeah. it'll be interesting to see what they do. Like at yeah. their developer conference this year, they doubled down on privacy. They're having a number of stronger privacy controls, like uh, anonymous email. They're going to support now, and yeah, like you said, with with great power, it, they'll they'll have huge responsibility to make sure it's yeah. not abused. Yeah, absolutely. So if it boils down <laughs> to uh, tour as a service, could it be a federal tour? <laughs> could it be uh, my FBI tour? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, do you trust him? Yeah. All right, on to our last topic. Uh, the FBI, the US FBI, their federal law enforcement agency here, they actually set up a secure messaging service called ANOM, A-N-O-M. And it was, it, it was marketed as a secure messaging app, something similar to Signal, but it was targeted towards uh, organized crime. And unbeknownst to these organized uh, criminals, uh, that the FBI was running. So they, they set it up and they, they sent it out and they were using it and, and they've been using it for months and for years and communicating their, their criminal plans like, oh, I'm going to kill this guy or you know the shipment of cocaine comes in at this time. And sure enough, the FBI uh, this week, they sprung their trap, collected all those messages those criminals thought were secure and that led to hundreds of arrests worldwide. So I think that's, that's pretty hilarious that they set up this entire secure messaging app and I guess that just goes to show, you know, always, always trust open source. Hold on, honeypot or entrapment? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like entrapment. <laughs> but then again, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not. I'm not. A, I'm not. A, I'm not a legal analyst by any stretch. But like I said, doesn't sound right to me. <laughs> doesn't sound right to me either. We'll let the lawyers sort that one out. Yeah. <laughs> Crime bait. Crime bait. Yeah. Is that like, you know, like? The guys that set up, you know, the police that set up cars down the street, yeah, keys inside that. the ignition, like, yeah, yeah. guy jumps right. in the car, takes off, right. and then they, and they do the kill they, switch. They do the kill switch, you know, or it drives us off. Yeah. Was, yeah. Uh, was Chris Hansen it. managing this program? <laughs> ben, I was going to say the same thing. Chris Hansen is going to popping out of the way. The website, the <laughs> Come on in, sir. Sit, take a seat. 
I look at the, 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 the news article here and I have to say the Australian police, they wear a lot of Velcro. They lay on the Velcro, they got very tactical. Yeah, that's, this is no joke. I mean, there were, there, I remember stories, I think it was last year, uh, there's a Canadian company that created uh, secure phones. They, they took a Blackberry, they put some software on the Blackberry and marketed it towards criminals and said, yeah, you, know, you use these to communicate, nobody, including law enforcement, can intercept them. And then, uh, sure enough, one day, the law enforcement, I think they raided the company and then they started intercepting the messages and I think a lot of people got really nervous when, when that happened, uh, especially the, the founder of this company. Can you think of what happened to him? You know, he sold these criminal syndicates, these supposed secure phones, and the law enforcement cracked him and he's got to be on the run. Either that or he's sitting at the bottom of a lake somewhere in some concrete shackles. You see Jimmy Hoffa? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you're going to do something dumb, right, like leverage like Roblox or something like that, some some medium that you think nobody would use to communicate. I don't even know if you can do direct messages on there, but you got to go around it somehow. That's a sketch. <laughs> yeah, so, so funny you mentioned gaming, Brian. There, there's actually a case maybe a year and a half ago, where somebody used the PlayStation Network to um, to communicate mm-hmm. with people because they thought no one would be eavesdropping on them. And they would say, yeah, meet me in the game, meet at this location, we'll talk details here. And it was the, the, the PlayStation Network. And the way that the FBI collected evidence on this, and one of the pieces of evidence that they introduced to court was that this guy had thousands of hours of playtime in the game but his character was still level one, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how do you log thousands of hours in a game and have a level one character? Like, yeah, there's, there's something nefarious going on here. Why would we show our hand right there? You should have just kept that one secret. Now everyone's be playing <laughs> just to hide that. You know what I mean? Yeah, everyone's like messaging through Counter-Strike servers or Minecraft servers. Do you imagine, though, you're just like, it's a shared account, and like your 13-year-old daughter's playing the game. You have these nefarious messages popping up. He's like, decline, decline. <laughs> Trying to level up your <laughs> You're messing with daddy's business. Yeah. 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 <laughs> or you get banned. Who remembers a day when the AOL CDs came around and people were hopping on, dialing on, and getting into these private chat rooms thinking that the private chat rooms were private? <laughs> so, do you guys remember that? Dude, how many people at our work think that Slack is private chat rooms too? And they're just <laughs> saying like insane things on there. Hey, wait, are you telling me it's not? <laughs> Whoops, Ben. <laughs> yeah, it, it does still amaze me that some people believe there is some level of expectation of privacy when using company email, company assets, company instant messaging, and, and, and they get surprised when, when somebody pulls out a logger or something. All right. Well, we continue to get great comments about our dad joke of the week. Dad joke of the week. This week I'm up. There are two fish in a tank. One looks at the other and says, how do you drive this thing? (laughs) (laughs) When's the punchline? (laughs) That's a classic. I think that's something Guy would love. I think so. (laughs) All right, to wrap things up, the U.S. is now treating ransomware with the same priority as terrorism. Apple is starting their own Tor network. The FBI sets up a fake secure messaging app to trap criminals. 
I'd like to give a shout out to one of our listeners, Michelle, who sent us a kind note letting us know that she was recently faced with a difficult decision and she remembered what we said on one of our podcasts about stepping up and doing the difficult thing. So thank you, Michelle, for your message and I'm glad we were here to help. That's all we have for this week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. You can find us all on LinkedIn, including all of our guests. Links will be in the description. And just so you know, by listening to this podcast, you are 20% less likely to have a bad airplane middle seat experience. If you know anyone else who would like a 20% less chance of having a bad middle seat experience, please share this podcast with them. The best way to find us is to search for the PepCac podcast on your favorite podcast listening app, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, and Stitcher. We'll see you all next week, and as always, have a nice day. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you guys being here. Thank you. My Instagram followers are going through the roof right now. (laughs) So, Chris, thanks. Very welcome. So, my back just stood with dark during the forecast. I saw I felt like a ransomware attack. (laughs) 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 Maybe the forecast just attracted the popularity. (laughs) The ransomware, the hackers are starting to trap us.